Good morning, people. If I don't know you, my name's Kurt. I'm the minister of St. Matt's, and so I'm up here this morning to help out. There's church running down at St. Matt's, which is the kind of, is it a sister congregation? I'm going to call it a brother. We're a brother congregation. It's, ma- it's more masculine, I reckon. Um, I, I feel a bit, a bit like a caged animal who's been let out of his cage. Uh, so I've been preaching in my garage for the last 22 weeks, uh, and it's locked in there with the green screen behind me, and, and now you're here. And isn't this exciting? Are you excited to be here as much as I am? You are. That's great. So we are going to be looking at the story of the resurrection, which is, is there anything more exciting than talking about resurrection? Um, the, the living Jesus. And so let me pray, and then we'll get have a look at this passage. Father God, we just praise you for this opportunity this morning that you give us to hear you speak through your word, to hear you testify to Jesus, the living Jesus. And so we pray that our hearts would be ready for it, that our minds would be ready to listen and engage with what it says. But most of all, that our whole persons would be ready to relate to you. But you are God and you are speaking to us through your word. And so let us listen this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, many years ago, when I was a young fella, had more hair, I travelled to Jerusalem, fortunately, like 20 years ago, and was reasonably safe at the time. And one memory that vividly stands out in my mind is we went to this place called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and inside, I don't know if that's how you say it, but that's how I say it, there was this place within the church, and it was called the Stone of Anointing, and it looked like this up here. This was the place where some believe, there's lots of places where different people believe different things, but this is where the place where some believe Jesus' dead body, after it was taken down from the crucifix, was laid and wrapped in burial cloths. And so I remember walking into that church, and as people were lining up in front of that stone, there was one lady at the front of the line who was lying down completely prostrate with her hands on the stone, weeping and crying out with a really, really loud voice. And it was really quite off-putting. You think, what's wrong with this lady? Is she all right? She looks like she's kind of fallen over and fallen onto the stone. But she, she was, she was worshipping. She was worshipping where the dead body of Jesus had been. And behind her was a whole bunch, line of people who likewise were planning to do the same thing. Now, I can't tell you what each of the people in that line were thinking. I can't even tell you what the person at the front of the line was thinking. But it seemed to me they had come to this place to worship a dead Jesus, to honour a dead Jesus, to commemorate a dead Jesus. And so my question to you this morning is, are you following a dead Jesus or a living one? A dead Jesus or a living one? The last nine weeks we've been reading Mark's account of Jesus' life. Uh, Mark was the scribe for Peter, who was a follower of Jesus right from the beginning. And so Mark has has done a really brief kind of account in that he goes very, very quickly through, uh, through the highs and lows of Jesus' life. Uh, Great crowds followed him as he travelled around northern Israel, teaching and healing people, calling people to what he called the kingdom of God. That is, he was calling a a new people to live in right relationship with God as their king. But as his teaching went along, he started teaching that the kingdom of God was coming through his death on, on a cross. He said that his death would be a ransom or a payment for the sins of humanity. And last week, as Paul spoke to us, we saw how, as we read in Mark 15, we saw that As Jesus was crucified, as he hung there on the cross, darkness 
came over the land from midday to 3 p.m. And so if we look at the Old Testament to see what's darkness about, when is that? Darkness was a symbol that God's judgment was coming down. And so as darkness comes down at, from 12 to 3, as Jesus hung on the cross, the question is, who's taking the judgment? And then as Jesus was crucified there, we hear that loud cry in Mark. It said, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we know at that point, the person who is being judged at that point, the judgment that is coming down, is coming down on Jesus. Jesus in that moment is cut off from his father's blessing, something he enjoyed from, enjoyed from before the beginning of the world. And so the question is, why? Why is Jesus being judged? And then after he dies, the temple curtain, what happens? It's torn from top to bottom. Bottom. The temple curtain, which covered the, the most holy place, which is the place where God symbolically dwell, is symbolically cut in half to show that people can now have access to the presence of God. And so you had the darkness, you had the cry, you had the curtain, and it all revealed that Jesus died for our sins to enable us to enter into the presence of God, to be in relationship with God. And if that's where Mark ended his gospel, just dying on the cross, you know, all the crazy things happening, the curtain, the, the darkness, the cry, then I think it would make sense for us to worship at places like the Stone of Anointing. It's like going to the, the, the gravestone of Elvis to, to commemorate Elvis. It, to, it, it would make sense for us to make church as we meet together, a bit like a funeral, a bit, a bit like a memorial for Jesus, to remember the dead leader, the dead saviour that, that lived many years ago. But Mark's gospel doesn't end there. Mark's gospel doesn't end there. And today we're going to pick up the story just after Jesus' crucifixion. And the first thing we're going to see, and you saw, heard Eleanor say in the, in the kids' talk, Jesus is really dead. Jesus is really dead. Okay, so Mark chapter 15, picking up at verse 42. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, although it was the Jewish leaders who had wanted Jesus crucified, we see here there's one of them named Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. He's, he's a believer in Jesus. And, and so we don't know when he became a believer. We don't know whether he was one before or during Jesus' trial or even after his death. But here, he is courageous enough all right, to set apart the fact that he's this respected Jewish person and to associate himself with Jesus, the one who was killed for blasphemy, by asking for his body. He's willing to carry his cross, in a sense, to follow Jesus, to pursue Jesus. Verse 44. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Now, crucifixion victims, you think, oh, it was such a horrible way to die. They should have died straight away. So much blood, all that. No, they were often kept alive on the cross for days as a way of torturing them, as a way of telling other people as they saw them on the cross, you don't want that to happen to you, do you? 
And so Pilate, the governor, he's actually surprised by how quickly Jesus died. We assume he died so quickly because of the way he was flogged and scourged. He lost so much blood. So he says, I want to make sure this is true. Is he really dead? And so he asks for the centurion. The centurion is like a professional executioner. This is his job. He kills people. He knows when they're dead. And so he says to the centurion, is Jesus dead? He says, yes. And so Jesus' dead body is given to Joseph. Verse verse 46. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Okay, now Jewish people don't do coffins or they don't do cremation. Instead, they dug caves where bodies were wrapped in cloth and placed in. And then later, after the body had decomposed, they came, took the bones, grinded them up and put them in a little flask called an ossuary and then filed it away. And so Mark says here, Jesus' dead body is placed in the tomb. A massive round stone is placed in front of the tomb to cover it up to prevent grave robbers coming and looting the body, taking any precious things were in there. And the women, it says here, who are mentioned earlier, we didn't, it was read in the Bible reading, but they're mentioned earlier as having seen the body go in, uh, they were there to see where he was laid. They saw that he was dead. And so what you need to get from this section is that Mark is going to great lengths to show you Jesus is really dead. He's really dead. It's not a fake death. It's not that he's half dead or he's taken some sort of drug and he's going to be resuscitated later on and go, ha ha, I'm alive. And and it's not a magic trick. Joseph, the centurion, the women all vouch for it. He's dead. Now, if that was the end of Mark... I would want to suggest to you that that would be the death, not only of Jesus, but also the movement he started. Sure, Jesus had good moral teachings. Sure, he'd done some miracles. His death was accompanied by extraordinary signs. Sure, he'd said he was the Messiah. But the disciples, the people who'd spent three years with him, being trained with him, they're nowhere to be seen. They're scared for their lives in hiding. And so at this point, if Mark ended here, this is the death of the Jesus movement. Jesus is dead. And so the question is, what would turn around a movement where the leader dies and everyone who got trained by him is scattered, goes from a movement that is dead to one that is alive? What's the fact that Jesus is really alive? He's not just really dead, but he becomes really alive. So verse 1, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Siloam bought spices so that my goat go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Okay, so you had Friday, he dies on Friday, his body's placed in the tomb on Friday. Saturday passes, Jesus' body is still in the tomb, the stone is rolled in front of it. In in fact, from the other Gospels, you find out people concerned that his body might be stolen, so they put a guard, a Roman guard, out the front of his tomb to prevent it. You have this group of soldiers out the front all of Saturday. Now it's Sunday morning. The sun's come up, it says, so you can see what's going on. The guard has gone, and three women are coming out to the tomb to continue the burial rituals. And so because they, needed, they couldn't do anything on the Saturday, because it was Sabbath, 
They didn't do all the rituals they needed to do on Friday night, so they come on Sunday morning after the Sabbath to get the rituals done. So that's rubbing oil in his body and spices to prevent his decomposing body from smelling too bad effectively. And so on the way, they're wondering how and who is going to help them move what they know to be there, this massive stone in front of the tomb. Now, there's a side point I want to make here, and that's the mention of the women. This is sometimes called the embarrassing truth of the gospel accounts, the embarrassing truth of the gospel accounts. It seems completely wrong to us, but back then, no one would take the word of a woman. No one would trust the word of a woman. If, if there were to be witnesses in a court of law, you could not be a woman because a woman's word could not be trusted. Now, that was what it was like back then. And so if Mark is trying to fabricate a story about Jesus coming back from the dead, don't mention the women. Don't mention the women, as Basil Fawlty would have said. Don't mention the women. Fawlty Towers reference there. Anyone get that? I didn't deliver it too well, so sorry. Uh, So the women come to the tomb. uh, Verse 4. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And so the women get there, the stones roll back, they step inside the cave, they see a young man dressed in a white robe, we presume an angel, um, and they're, they're, well, you can imagine, they're scared. They're scared. What's happened to Jesus' body? Who's who's this bloke and what's happening here? Verse 6, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He, is, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now, like that lady on that Sunday, like that lady who I saw at the stone of anointing 20 years ago, who had come to worship a dead Jesus, so these women are coming to do the same. They're coming to his gravesite to honour the dead Jesus, to rub his body with oil. They're expecting a dead Jesus they come to honour a dead saviour. But that's not what they find. That's not what they find. They're told Jesus, who was really dead, is now really alive. See, Christian faith is not the worship of a dead guru, leader, saviour. And in fact, that's what makes Christian faith different to every other religion in the world. Every other religion follows the teachings of of a dead guru, a dead leader, a a dead teacher. Christian faith is about the worship of the living saviour, the living king, whom God raised from the dead to show that his work on the cross was actually effective. See, if Jesus didn't come back from the dead, how do we know what he did on the cross was effective. How do we know it actually worked? He said it would work, and a whole bunch of crazy stuff happened with the darkness and the cry and the curtain. So you think, well, you know, it should have worked, but how do we know? Well, we know because God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. He came back again victorious over death to show that he was victorious over sin. He appeared multiple times to multiple people over a period of 40 days. He appeared, it says, in the the New Testament to up to 500 people at once. People saw this risen Jesus. They ate meals with him. They were taught by him. And after 40 days, it says, he was taken up into heaven to sit beside his father. 
to take his place as the living king of existence. So the king, Jesus, who was really dead, was now really alive. And that is an event that changes the way you worship him. It's an event that changes the way you worship him. So verse 7, the angel says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So the angel says to the women, Go tell his disciples to go back to Galilee. Back to the place, remember, where they first followed him. Back to the place, remember, where he did all of his discipleship, his discipleship training with them, his ministry with them, most of his ministry with them. And and the angel says to them, because he's going ahead of you and he's going to meet you there, just as he said. Go back to Galilee where he told you to go, because he will meet you there. So there was another place I visited in Jerusalem 20 years ago. And uh, it was a much prettier place. It was actually a garden. It was a place called the Garden Tomb. And inside the Garden Tomb, which is kind of this area of Jerusalem, there is this first century rock tomb, which they say could have been the tomb in which Jesus was laid. All right? They're pretty good in that they don't say this is the tomb we know for certain. They say this could have been the tomb that Jesus was laid. Now, that was exciting to go and see because you feel like, oh, wow, there's a garden like it would have been in the first century and here's a rock tomb where Jesus would have been placed in. But the most helpful part of that place was the sign they placed on the door. And it was this. On the door to the tomb, it said, He is not here, for he is risen. He is not here, for he is risen. See, when you follow a dead saviour... It makes sense to go to sites where he was dead body was laid and mourn him. It makes sense that your religious gatherings are more like funerals, commemoration services of the, of the, of the dead Jesus. But when you have a living saviour, then all of your living becomes about living with him. All of your living becomes about living with him. See, the angel is saying to these women, he's saying, the angel is saying, Go back to Galilee, he's going to be with you. That is, go back to Galilee, the place you did your training as a disciple, because your training is not over. Your training is not over. You're still following the living Jesus. You're still going to be discipled by the living Jesus. Your training is not over. The call to follow him is still there because he is alive. Verse 8, And they went out and fled from the tomb, For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, this is a bit of an anticlimax, isn't it? You feel that? (laughs) And this is the end of the gospel. You're expecting the women to leave pumped, really pumped, like they're just like me today, like let out of a cage and preaching in front of people for the first time in ages. You're expecting them to go and tell the disciples with joy, but they are freaked out. And they say nothing. And so you think to yourself, What was Mark thinking? (laughs) Why did he end his gospel here? What a crazy place to end. It's Because we know Mark has written well. It's not that Mark got to that point in the story and stopped writing because nothing else had happened at that point. He's here. He knows all the things that happened afterwards. He could have written all about the resurrection appearances. Why does he stop here? 
See, I think that's why you have that little extra, you might have noticed as you're reading there, you have that little extra bit in your Bible, 9 to 20, and you're thinking, what? what's that there? Is that Bible? Isn't that Bible? Why haven't we read it this morning? Why? Why isn't Kurt speaking about it? The reason that section is there is because it's not included, it's, it's included in later manuscripts of the New Testament, but not early manuscripts of the New Testament. So what, what we think has happened is that the, sa- the same feeling we have as we read the end of Mark's Gospel, you get to it and think, wait a minute, why hasn't he mentioned this, this and this? He probably should have. And so some really zealous scribe later on, much later on, decided, oh, I'll just add a few of those bits in to fill it out. But I think Mark ends here for a reason. I don't think it's an accident. I don't think he ran out of ink. Mark wants you to see that there was nothing in Jesus' followers that enabled this movement to get off and running, okay? There's nothing in his followers that enabled the message to go forward. That even after Jesus rose from the dead, the Jesus movement should have died if it was just up to his disciples and the people around him. Because what, what have we got here? We've got the disciples have run away. They don't want to borrow Jesus anymore because they're scared to be associated with him because they're going to get killed. You have the women who seem to be the faithful ones in that they're caring for the body of Jesus. They see the angel, hear that he's alive. They're not even talking to disciples now. So for all money, nothing should have happened at this point. It should have been the end. And so what Mark is helping you see is that the only thing that enabled the Jesus movement to continue was that Jesus was really alive. That's the only thing that can explain it. It wasn't that these guys, the disciples and the women, were great marketers. All right, They just knew how to... Uh, they were social influencers. And they had massive Instagram accounts. Or they just knew how to get out in the community and, and get the message out. They No, it should have died. The only reason it kicked off and kept going because Jesus was really alive. And so my question to you this morning is this. Are you following a living Jesus? Are you following a living Jesus? See, we make the mistake sometimes to think that because we can't see Jesus, like the disciples could see Jesus, we kind of function a bit like he's dead. We function a bit like he's dead. But the Bible teaches us that the Jesus who came back to life then is the same Jesus who is alive now in heaven and rules over this universe right now. The same Jesus who came to back, life, back to life back then is the same Jesus who is present now with us through his word, the word about him, and the Holy Spirit that impacts our hearts. The same Jesus who came back to life back then is the same Jesus who calls you to be his disciple to carry a cross and come follow him, to turn from life without him, to accept his death for your sin and to live in relationship every single moment of every single day as your saviour, as his, him as your saviour and master. And so this morning, I want to speak to those who are not disciples of the living Jesus. Whether you're here this morning or whether you're online, I want to speak to you And I want to say to you this, I want to say sorry. I want to say sorry for giving you the impression that Jesus is dead. 
Sorry for making it seem like the way Christians do their faith and do church and live their lives acts like Jesus is dead and we're commemorating a dead guy. Because nothing can be further from the truth. Jesus is alive. He's really alive. And this morning, he is speaking through the words about himself to you, to me. And he's saying to us all, come follow me. Come follow me. If you're here this morning and you are not a disciple of the living Jesus, he is saying to you this morning through his word, by his spirit, come follow me. If this morning you hear his voice in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, you can hear his voice this morning saying, come follow me, then please let us know. Please let us know so that we can help you grow as his disciple. But if you are someone who is Jesus' disciple this morning, then I want to ask you again, are you following a living Jesus? Are you following a living Jesus? Would people look at your life and think the Jesus you follow is dead or that he's alive? Do you come to church and think, today I'm going to encounter the living Jesus through his word? Or do you come to church just to kind of, in a sense, pay your respects? Do you speak to Jesus when you leave church? Or or do you function outside like he's effectively not even there? Do you expect the living Jesus to be involved in your life, to answer your prayers, to use you in your workplace and your families? Or do you see yourself, he's kind of, you've got the ancient teachings of this dead teacher and you're kind of trying to just do this Christian thing yourself. Do you spend time trying to introduce others to the living Jesus? Do you meet people and think to to yourselves, I just want want to introduce you to Jesus. The living Jesus who died for you and rose again that you might know him. Do you have hope even in the midst of suffering and pain, knowing he is with you, he is good and all-powerful? Do you feel accountable to him to every part of your life? Do you go out into the world thinking there's parts of the world that Jesus doesn't see and and I can just kind of do what I want in this area and kind of not live under his lordship? But when I do the religious things, yeah, yeah, I have to be under his lordship then. Friends, we worship a living Jesus, not a dead Jesus, because he is really alive. He's really alive. How cool is that? It's the best thing in the world. Let me pray. Father God, we are in awe this morning that you, in your power, raised your son from the dead to verify, to declare to the whole universe that sin has been, that sin can be washed away through his blood. And so, Father, we recognise this morning for those who have put their trust in Jesus that they can know for certain that they have no condemnation, that their sin is completely and perfectly forgiven, that they're righteous in the Son because Jesus rose from the dead. 
And so, Father, we are sorry for the times when we have walked through this life acting like Jesus is a dead figure in the past and not living like he is the living Lord of our lives in every moment. We're sorry when our, our, our gatherings at church have seemed more like, more like a memorial for someone who died rather than an encounter with the living word of God, with the living Jesus through his word, by his spirit. And so, Father, we pray that we would live life, a real life under the real living Jesus, that we would declare his greatness, that we would ask people to come and meet him. Father, particularly I pray this morning for those people who have not become disciples of the living Jesus, that you would speak now. They would hear his voice saying, come, follow me. And they would come to have their sins forgiven and live a new life with him. And we pray in Jesus' name.